right. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah 26. Isaiah chapter number 26. Good to be here this morning. And I appreciate Pastor allowing me the privilege to, uh, to preach this morning. This was not planned necessarily. At least it wasn't on our, our calendars. I'm sure God was aware. Uh, we are supposed to be in Ottawa this morning. I'm supposed to be at Cross Point Baptist Church in Ottawa this morning. Uh, but uh, as it were... Uh, one of our daughters, uh, the American daughter, not the Canadian daughter, um, could not get her American passport. We still are waiting for that. And so uh, we are always going to come through Connecticut eventually. Uh, and uh, we're doing the trip a little bit backwards from our plans, but uh, we're trusting that it's how God wants it to be. Pray with us that her passport would come in. If you would, please, we've uh, we put it in months ago. We put in the application months ago. It's actually just a renewal. It's not like it's her first one. We put it in for plenty of time to make the trip, and they didn't get it to us. And then we called, and we said, what do we do? And they said, well, you can pay $80, and we'll expedite it to you in two weeks. Uh, those have come and gone. We called again and said, what can we do? They said, well, um, you might could drive to Atlanta. And I said, I'll pass on that. That's okay. Um, and so we've called a couple of times. I said, well, how will we know? How will we know if it's coming? And they said, well, if you see a charge on your credit card, we've processed the passport. If not, you're waiting. And so we're just checking our credit card every day to see if they pass it, if they charge us, and, and then maybe we'll get that in and, and get to uh, head up to Canada. Uh, that's the plan. And uh, if not, then we'll, we'll make do with what God wants us to do. Isaiah 26, verse number 3. So good to be here this morning, though, and uh, <clears throat> looking forward to this. Uh, I, I mentioned in the 815 service, I'll mention to now, uh, full disclosure, I think a year ago, if my notes are right, about a year ago or so, maybe a little over a year ago, I did preach from Isaiah 26 here at Harvest even from this verse, but this is new material. Uh, my notes say that I put this together in July of this year, uh, and so um, it, it's new material, and I hope that you'll stick with me, and I hope it can be a blessing uh, to you uh, this morning. Isaiah 26, and I just want to read one verse, verse number three. The title of the message is, Peace is Possible. Peace is Possible, and I think we live in a world where uh, people are seeking peace, would love to have peace, and, uh, uh, and yet it, it seems to always be evading us. And uh, when I say us, I mean all of us, believers and unbelievers alike, and we'll address that this morning. Isaiah chapter number 26 and verse number 3, the Holy Spirit of God inspired Isaiah to write this. It's for us today as well. He says, Thou, speaking about the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let's pray together and then look at this, this verse. Father, thank you for this day, for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the singing and uh, the, the preparation of our hearts. And I pray, God, that it has prepared our hearts to receive your word. We come today recognizing that your word is indeed the word of God with power, not the word of man. We pray that you would find us ready to be yielded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God as he takes the word and applies it to our individual lives, our individual situations, and, and, and to our hearts, and that we would take and do with that what you desire in our lives. And maybe somebody here has never had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus, never received him as Savior, isn't 100% certain that if they were to die today, they would be instantaneously and forever 
in the presence of Jesus Christ and, and, and that they have a heavenly Father, that they have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that that would be settled even this morning and that you would just uh, be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The picture that you see on the screen is actually the cover of a track that we used in Arizona, in the church in Arizona. I was uh, preparing new material, outreach material in Arizona years ago, and I came across this picture, and, and to me the picture just kind of spoke instantly of this idea that I have in my mind of, of serenity or peace, and, and we just simply put that, that title on the, t on the front of it there, Peace is Possible. And uh, on, the, on the back of that track, we had a little gospel message that went along with it. And it was uh, really based on Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was probably the best received track that we ever produced or gave out in Arizona. We went and printed, I'm sure, tens of thousands of those. I cannot remember a single person to whom I tried to hand that track to who said, no, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. I've handed out or tried to hand out other tracks that people have refused. And uh, yet that one I never had anybody say no to. I think the reason or one of the reasons behind that is I've never met anybody who's not interested in peace who's not interested in having that kind of that serenity that we speak about and that, that inward peace, that in, inward tranquility. I think most people long for that. I think even in this world that we live in where people are so anxious and, and so kind of uh, living in turmoil and, and wondering and worrying from day to day. And, and, and it's not just unbelievers who do that, by the way. It's believers as well. We shouldn't. We don't have to. And yet we do. And we're going to address that this morning. But, but you know, lost people live in this world in, in a way that, that you and I as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they really have the, the, the deck stacked against them, if I can say it that way. And I think most people really do long for this kind of inner peace of spirit and heart and mind. And, 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 and as Bible believers, we understand that that kind of peace finds its roots in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we need to remember, I think, is, and what I need to remind myself often is, that those who are not believers, those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, maybe they've not heard the gospel, or, or they've heard it and they don't understand it, that those people have not been born again into the family of God, that they are utter strangers to the kind of peace that we read about in Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. That they don't really have any idea about that. They, they can't even fathom that kind of peace. In fact, God says the peace that he gives to you and I as believers passes our understanding. If we can't understand it in Christ, we certainly can't understand, uh, hope that they would understand it or even know about it. And I think if they did, there would be a lot more people who would be interested in knowing more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we understand this morning that if we're going to have peace in this world, in, in our own lives, and then have peace in our relationships, horizontal peace, if you will, it all starts with a vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and there needs to be peace there. Think of how Paul describes unbelievers, and he reminds you and I that at one time, this is where we were in this world. He doesn't isolate unbelievers in the sense of those people. He says, remember that at 
at that time, in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, he says, at that time, ye were without Christ. He says, go back in your memory and remember when you were without Christ. And at that time, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. He begins to pronounce a five-fold curse against those who live in this world without a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says that you are without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. But this one's really bad, having no hope. How do you have peace if you have no hope? If you don't have any hope, of course you're always going to be anxious. Of course you're always going to be worrisome. Of course you're going to live in turmoil and trouble. You're having no hope. And this is the worst of all, without God in the world. That's a bad place to be. That's a, a really bad place to be. He goes on and he reminds us though, and he says in verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. And we're reminded that the Lord Jesus is not just come to make peace and to establish peace and that we can have peace with the Father, but He Himself is our peace. And that He has abolished in His flesh the enmity of the law or the, the fact that we were at war with God. And so making peace, He says, He has reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached peace to you. And then we get to verse number 19 and he, and he says, that's where you were. If you, before you got saved, that's where you were. You were an alien. You were a foreigner. You were a stranger. You were without God in the world. He says, now therefore, ye are no more strangers and no more foreigners, but fellow citizens. I just mentioned that we're supposed to be in Ottawa this morning and, and we can't get to Ottawa this morning. Want to know why? Because we're foreigners. We can't cross the border without the proper paperwork. I can cross the border. My wife can cross the border. Janique, our, our, our Canadian-American, can cross the border. She can cross it more readily than any of us. But Ellie can't cross the border. We're all foreigners. Some of us have our paperwork settled and we could get in. She can't. We're surrounded by people in this world who aren't waiting on paperwork, but don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ settled. And it's barring them from having this kind of peace and having a home in heaven and knowing that eternity is secure and certain and he says, but you, you're no more foreigners. You're, you're, you're fellow citizens. You're of the household of God. And, and God designed the gospel so that those of us who live and, and know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior can live in a state of peace of heart and mind no matter what's going on around us. That we can have this, this peace that really passes all understanding. Romans 8 and verse 15 says, For ye have not received the, uh, the spirit of, of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I'm so thankful this morning that because I simply believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, received Him as my Savior, that I have been adopted into the family of God, and I enjoy all the rights and privileges as a, as a full-born natural son in the family of God this 
this morning. And part of that says that I have peace, that I can have this peace uh, that, that really nobody uh, in this world can understand. And, and all of that information ought to be enough for you and I this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, to live from day to day and have this kind of peace that Isaiah speaks about. But the truth is we don't. The truth is most of us go from day to day and, and, and from sometimes moment to moment, hour to hour, and, and we go through these seasons of worry and we go through these seasons of anxiousness. And, and, and if we're honest with ourselves this morning and, and we're honest before God, I think all of us would say, yeah, there's times when I live in anxiousness, but God didn't design us to do that once we have been saved. He says, you can have peace. It's, it's possible. Uh, sometimes we're, we're very anxious and I think far too often and we find ourselves anxious. And, and I think if, if we're careful to study the scriptures, we'll come to one main conclusion, one really solid reason. Why does that happen? Why does this peace that God has kind of designed the gospel to give to me seem to escape me and elude me so often? I believe it's really simple, it's a matter of focus. It's a matter of where I'm paying what I'm paying attention or to whom I'm paying attention. And, and I think all of us, if we're honest, would say very often I find myself more focused on the circumstances around me than the Christ within me. And, and I begin to look at the world and I begin to look at what's happening. And as I do that, I become very focused on, 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 on what's going on in this person's life or how are they getting away with this or, or, or why is that going on or why is the government the way it is or whatever the case is. And, and I, I'm going to tell you what, if, if, if you could be frustrated with the government, I'm frustrated with, with a government that won't give my daughter a passport right now. And I could look at that and I could wring my hands and I could get angry and I could just be like so upset about about it and say, you know, my whole trip, I'm supposed to be in, I'm supposed to be in Ottawa this morning. I was supposed to be going over to Quebec a little bit later on. One of the things I've always wanted to do is be able to fly up to James Bay, far north in Quebec as you can possibly get, and, and give the gospel to people who live in those villages up there. I've always wanted to do that. I was going to get to do that on this trip. It was part of the trip. It was all scheduled out. And I could look at that and I could just say, you know what, why are they doing this to me? Or I could say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'll roll with it. I read from Psalm 73 this morning in my personal devotions, and I was reminded that I'm not the only person that will sometimes look at the circumstances and get my eyes off the Lord and, and really begin to fret and worry and become anxious. And I, I love, I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms over the last couple of years, and, and I really love the Psalms. And one of the reasons I do is because the, the, the writers, the human recorders of the Psalms are so brutally honest about their emotions, about what they're going through. And they're just so brutally honest in their response to what they're going through. And their humanity shines through it in a way that is just... For me, really refreshing, and it reminds me, I'm not the only one who goes through these things and thinks this way. Psalm 73, verse 1 through 3, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And it's interesting to me, the psalmist starts off and he doesn't say, Truly God is good to me, but God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. 
But as for me, my feet were almost, uh, were almost gone. My steps had well nigh sli- slipped. For I was anxious, or I was rather, I was envious at the foolish. That is a really bizarre statement. I looked at the foolish and I was jealous of them. Why? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That guy over there, he's wicked and he's got more than I've got. He's making more money than I'm making. He doesn't love God like I love God. He's in a really bad place. By the way, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And, and, and he's got this announcement of God's goodness, but yet he, that's where he starts off. He says, in, in verse number one, he says, truly God is good. Yet by the time we get to verse number three, he's very anxious. What's the problem? He's focused on, how come he gets away with that? How come they get to do that? How come they can do this over here and still prosper? What's going on? Doesn't God care? And he begins to wonder. He says in verse 5, they're not troubled as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. By the way, he doesn't know that. You're out, the outward appearances... You know, you drive by, you go to Beverly Hills, you look at, the, look at the mansions, oh, those people have it made. Who knows what's going on behind those walls? Who knows the turmoil that they live in day by day inside those fancy houses? They're not plagued like other men, he says. In verse 9, he says, they've set their mouth against the heavens. They blaspheme. Their tongue walketh through the earth. He says, they never shut up and they're just always talking wicked talk. And in verse 11 and 12, he says, and they say, how does God know? They say, God doesn't know. God is not aware of what I'm doing. And, and is there knowledge with the Most High? God's not cared or concerned with what I do. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. By the time he gets to this point... We read in verse 13, now he has an aversion to having lived for God. It's an amazing statement. He says, verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Do you understand what he's saying? I've washed my hands in innocency. He says, listen, he is so focused on how seemingly unfair this world is and has concluded that because the world's unfair, God's unfair. And that's, why, by the way, what most people do. The world's unfair, so God must be unfair. No, that's not really how it works. The world's unfair because of sin. Not because God's unfair. But this is what he thinks. And he says, look, at I've cleansed my heart in vain. There's this agitation and, and really this complete absence of peace. Listen to verse 14 through 16. He says, for all the day long I have been plagued. The wicked prosper and I'm plagued. They're not plagued, I'm plagued. He's really mixed up. And I'm chastened every morning. I I have to remind myself, and, and maybe you do too, from time to time, you know what? The rich of this world may be wicked and may prosper, but all their riches on this earth, that's the best they ever get without Jesus Christ. That's the best they get. And if I have to go through day to day and I miss out on a passport in my trip to Quebec, in my little dream trip to go up to James Bay, that's the worst it gets for me, friend. Because I've got heaven. 
And if, I, and if I say, he says, and if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of the children. Now he's not even sure he should tell anybody about the Lord because I don't want to offend because maybe if I could be like them, I could prosper too. And when I thought to know this, watch what he says. You'll, you'll hear no peace here. When I thought to know this, when I thought about this, when I meditated upon this, when I let this kind of enter into my mind and I wasn't focusing on the Lord, it was too painful for me. Thankfully, the verse and the, and the psalmist doesn't end there because in verse 17, he does turn a corner and he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God. And when he changes his focus back onto the Lord, things are going to change in all of his perspective. And, and, and he's going to make this kind of really uncomfortable but necessary admission in verse 22, he says, so foolish was I. Remember before, he's jealous of the foolish. Now he says, I thought they were foolish. I'm foolish. I was as a beast before thee. And when he has this new perspective and he kind of puts things in order and he's now focusing back on the Lord. I went to the sanctuary. I went to the house of God. I showed up for church. Now what happens? Nevertheless, he says in verse number 23, I am continually with thee. I might not have my passport. That's okay. God's still here. That's what he says. I might not have all that stuff that they seem to have and I don't so maybe prosper in a worldly way the way they seem to prosper, but I've got God. And he is continually with me. And thou hast holden me by thy right hand. And thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. He says, I'm starting to see something here. This is for them the best they get. This is for me the worst I get. And I'm going to glory. And in verse number 28 he says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I might declare all his works. And the bottom line is we live in a sin-fractured world where as mere human beings we are plagued with a sin nature and we all have a tendency to lose sight of the fact that God is always good to us even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and even in the turmoil and even when we don't get our own way and even when it seems like everybody else is getting their own way we're doing well and we forget that the psalmist wrote hey he loads us daily with benefits loads us daily you know we sing that song count your many blessings dare you to try you couldn't you'd forget some we'd all forget some and we do well to remember the words of Isaiah 26 and verse 3 they'll be a help to us Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let's consider this verse. Let's, let's, let's break it down and see if, if we can learn some things from it and, and, and see if we can understand what, what God is promising us and then grasp and get a hold of it this morning. And the first thing I want us to notice is just where the verse starts. It starts with a delightful promise. A delightful promise that will keep him in perfect peace. And, and as we look at this promise, it is a delightful promise. Perfect peace. Wow. I don't know about you. You can have a million dollars or you can have perfect peace. Give me the peace. 
Give me the peace. You could win the lottery. So I can't win the lottery. I don't play the lottery. I'm a Christian. Okay, just imagine with me. You could win the lottery or perfect peace. Do a study sometime at the people who win the lottery and how their lives spiral out of control. Give me the peace. I'll take the peace. We read, at Psalm, we read Isaiah 26, verse 3, perfect peace. And we're like, eh, whatever. I'm still going to be miserable today because things aren't going my way and I didn't get my passport. As we consider this delightful promise, I, I think it's important for you and I to pause and consider the person of the promise because a promise really is only as good as the person who makes it. Isn't that right? I mean, there's a reason why I generally don't believe things that come out of Washington, D.C. Not trying to be political. By the way, I generally don't believe things that come out of there, whether they're on the left side or the right side of the aisle. Or the middle of the aisle. Because I've learned that generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, promises made there or promises made to get there seldom come to fruition. A promise is only as good as the person who makes it. The promise of Isaiah 26 and verse 3 comes from God. So let's consider his person and consider some things of why this is such a great promise. And, and the first thing I want us to know is that, that this is undoubtedly true. This is undoubtedly true because God cannot lie. That's what is written to us in Titus. That this promise of perfect peace from Isaiah 26 is undoubtedly true because it's a promise that God makes to you and I. That, that God is never going to lie. You think of, you think of go back to, I, I, I mentioned Washington, D.C. Go back to Moses and Pharaoh. It, it's not just our politicians. It's been a long time, folks. Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, no. God says, okay. Plague. Moses goes back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hey, call off the plague. We'll call it a truce, right? I'll let you go. Truce. And he lies over and over and over again. People make promises all the time that they don't keep. But when God makes a promise, take it to the bank. He's always going to keep his promises. It's unconditionally, undoubtedly true. It's, it can be unconditionally trusted, therefore. Because it is undoubtedly true, it can be unconditionally trusted. Do you understand? That's, that's just pure logic, honestly. Psalm 18 and verse 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of, of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. Proverbs 30 and verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. You see, because God cannot lie, God can be trusted. God will never make a promise that he cannot keep. By the way, he will never make a promise that is too hard for him to keep. Nobody can thwart his promises. Whether intentional or unintentional, and I'm really not trying to be political this morning in any stretch of the imagination, they just happen to be good examples <laughs> 
Whether intentional or unintentional, in my lifetime, I don't remember somebody who's run for the presidency of the United States who hasn't promised this. I will bring peace to the Middle East. I will be the guy who brings peace to the Middle East. How's that working out? My son's in Baghdad this morning serving our country because there's no peace in the Middle East. What happened? People make promises they can't keep. They, they literally, I don't know whether they intend to. I think actually that's a promise they really try and intend to keep because, man, imagine the legacy if you keep that. But they make promises they can't keep. They're too great for them. They're too big for them. But when God makes a promise, it's not going to be too great or too big for him to keep. It's not too hard for him to keep. It can be unconditionally trusted. It can be unendingly tried. Because God is unchanging, so too are his promises. I am the Lord, he says in Micah 3 and verse 6. I change not. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and God is saying, listen, I'm always the same. And because of that, my promises are always good. Let's, let's take it home and, and, and make it a little more personal. Now, I've been picking on the D.C. crowd. Let's pick on us. I don't mean to be offensive. I don't mean to, to put salt in anybody's wounds and, or any of that. That's not the purpose. But I would just say this. Just picture with me, if you can, a young couple who comes to an altar like this on a, on a wedding day. And they seal a covenant promise between the two of them that they're going to live life together and on that day they think it's always going to be bliss. Well, it's probably not going to be. But they think it is and they seal it with two words. I do. I will and I do, right? But yet marriages fall apart. Inside and outside the church, there's a divorce rate that's astronomical. Why? People change. People stop doing. Really, that's what happens. Somebody or both stop doing. They forgot that they said, I will, or they thought that, you know, I will for a while. But the, the I do of marriage is a lifelong continual commitment. The I do, you know, what are you doing? Laundry. Been doing that my whole life, gonna keep doing it my whole life. I'm glad my wife isn't here to compare that I've compared my marriage to laundry. But you stop doing along the way. And, and, and hearts are broken and relationships deteriorate and there's painfulness in day-to-day in -day existence because somebody stops doing. But what I want us to remember is God never stops doing. He always will. When he says, I will, take it to the bank, he always will. He doesn't change. He's always going to do his part. That's the person of the promise. Consider this delightful promise. Consider the protection of the promise. 
Isaiah says, thou will keep him in perfect peace. It's a military term, the word keep. It's a military term. It it speaks of guarding. It speaks of watching over. It speaks of shielding from danger. It it speaks of minding to, attending to. Uh, It speaks of doing all these things with fidelity and faithfulness. Paul has a parallel passage uh, to Isaiah 26 and verse 3, I think in Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7, be careful or anxious or worrisome about nothing or for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. It's so interesting to me that Paul says, hey, you've got some needs, you've got some requests, you've got some things that you think you need, make those known to God. He doesn't say, and God will give you those things. What he says is, and the peace of God. In response to all your requests that you bring before God, here's what you're going to get first and foremost. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep that same word, that same word, that military term, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And and so the idea here is that that God is guarding, that he's building a fortress around, that he's garrisoning about our our hearts and our minds. And, And so the protection of the promise is like the whole of the promise. It's dependent upon God and we have to let him be in charge and the one who uh, allow him to be the one who builds the fort and stands at the gate of the way Uh, I think what happens is that sometimes we don't allow that and we 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 forget that and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit Uh, but I need to move forward because I'm still looking at a delightful promise we're looking at it together and and a third thing I want us to notice is simply this Uh, notice the portion of the promise the portion of the promise Thou will keep him in perfect peace. If if Saul or David or Jesus for that matter or Paul or Mark or Matthew or Luke were reading this in their Hebrew Old Testament, here's how they would read it. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. So literally, this perfect peace is a double portion of God's peace. Can I suggest that one portion of God's peace would be abundant enough for this life? God says, I'll give you a double portion. It's a peace that passes understanding, Paul says. And aren't you glad that God doesn't say, hey, listen, I'll give you just enough to get by. Just enough to eke out an existence. But my God does everything in abundance. He does above all that we can ask or think. And when he says, I will give you peace, he's saying, listen, you'll never lack it. There's always going to be enough. No matter how bad the situation, no matter how anxious your heart, God says, I've always got an ample amount, an ample supply of peace. And that brings me to one more thing on this delightful promise. And and notice this with me. What's the product of the promise? This is that like, duh moment, right? You're like, the product of the promise you just told us. We've been talking about it forever here. Peace. Okay, but what is peace? What exactly is peace? In biblical terms, I think we don't pursue this kind of peace that Isaiah says God promises because we don't have a good understanding of what it really is. Because I think the average person, that if we were to just take a poll and we would say, hey, define peace, probably almost immediately we'd say something like this. Peace is 
no hostility. Peace is when there's no war. But that's a really narrow and a really small, and can I say this, really just kind of a, a fleshly human view of peace. It, it's not a biblical idea of peace. Now, it includes that for sure, but that is a very small thing. Let me try to illustrate. I, I grew up in a, in a very, very broken home. Very broken. I, I do not remember how old I was. I do not remember exactly what grade I was when my father finally left the house. But I can remember this. I was glad he left. I was glad he left because I didn't like it when he and my mother were around together in the same place at the same time. Because all I ever observed in my life was warfare. Open hostilities. You know what were the most dreaded days in my house for me? Saturday and Sunday. You say, you should like to know I liked to go to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday because I didn't want to be at home. And if my parents were going to be in the same place at the same time over the weekend, here's what I knew. It's going to be a battle. And it would always start the same way. There would be yelling and there would be screaming. There would be accusations. There would be all this kind of stuff. And it always seemed to kind of end the same way. My, my mother, she collected, she collected these little figurines. I, I, think they're, I think they're called Hummels, I, I, I think. Anyway, she collected these little figurines. She kept them on a, on a shelf, and, and those were like, what, that's what she collected. And by the way, uh, it may sound like I'm making my father be the 100% bad guy. My mother, it, it was, this was just like all-out war on both sides, okay? She would collect those little figurines and all the screaming, all the yelling and all that stuff would go on. And, and you know, I was just thinking, man, get, get me out of here. I just don't even want to be here and, and uh, looking for somewhere to go. And, and, and my father would take those, like when, when he was like done, we're going to put an end to this. He'd take a figurine off the shelf and he'd smash it on the floor. And that would kind of shock my mother and... Then the fight would start again. And when he smashed enough figurines for the day, and by the way, I don't know where she kept getting them because there was always an endless supply to smash. I don't know why she didn't stop buying them. But he would smash them, and when he smashed enough, there'd be a truce. So there's a cessation of hostilities. No more open hostilities. Do you think there was peace? There was no peace. I still didn't want to be home. I was still glad when my, when my father moved. What I'm trying to say is that, that Isaiah isn't saying to us, hey, listen, and by the way, God never even promised this because it's such a small little portion of, of peace when we understand biblical peace. He doesn't say, hey, listen, keep your mind fixed on me. You're never going to have any trouble in the world. You're never going to have any hostility in the world. In fact, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We learned that in Sunday school this morning. But you could have peace in that time. 
That's pretty amazing. That's why it passes our understanding, because our understanding is just, just stop fighting and there's peace. No, that's not peace. I, am I really the only person that's ever gone through a day and not had any open hostilities with anybody, but still had a really anxious spirit? God says, I'm going to give you something you can't really fully wrap your mind around. But if you'll let me do this in your life, oh, it's a delightful promise. So who gets this promise? To whom is the promise made? Is it made to every child of God? Uh, we, we've established, I think, uh, sufficiently that it is a promise for the child of God because you can't have the peace of God without having peace with God. So you establish that in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You receive Him as Savior. And, and then you have peace with God. But just because you have peace with God doesn't mean you're always experiencing the peace of God. And, and God says, you can have it. You can experience it. How do you get it? I'll give it to you if your mind is stayed upon me. A decided person. And by the way, this really is a Christian discipline. You will have to work to train your mind to say, I am going to stay upon the Lord. I'm going to keep my mind fixed upon the Lord. I'm going to keep my mind fixed and resting and leaning hard on, on the Lord and His Word and His promises. The, the promise isn't made to every single person, even every single child of God. The promise is made to those who say, I will rest upon. That's what that word stayed means. I will lie hard against. I will brace myself against the promises of God. That's going to have to be a decided person. That's going to have to be somebody who says, I don't want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 73 for those first several verses that is so fixated on the world. I want to keep my mind fixated on Christ. Psalm 5 and verse 3 helps us. The psalmist says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and I will look up. I'm going to spend my days not looking around, but looking up. Uh, 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 Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Isaiah 26, and verse 9, With my soul I have desired thee in the night. Have you ever woke up anxious? Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. We could probably quote Proverbs 3, uh, 5 this morning. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Why? Because better to lean on the Lord. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Watch this. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Is God saying you'll always be healthy if you lean on me? No. What's the application? You're going to have this completeness of spirit. Your emotional health. By the way, it's okay to speak about emotional health. It's a real thing. Your mental health, it's a real thing, can have peace and completeness. And I would say it this way, you can either rest your mind upon the Lord or you can be restless. Two choices. 
And God says, keep your mind fixed upon me. Do you remember the parallel from Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7? And I'm moving quickly as I can. Stick with me. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And you have to understand that in this Christian life, your mind, my mind, our mind is the battlefield on which the enemy engages. Okay? That's where he engages us first. Okay, he doesn't engage me first because somebody cut me off on Route 202. He doesn't engage me first because somebody I didn't want to win an election won an election or, or this person did this or that person did that. He engages in my mind because actually if my mind is fixed and stayed, a lot of those things won't even bother me. And so we've got to recognize where the battle is being fought. And it is being fought in our hearts and in our minds. It is a battle for our hearts and minds. It is being fought in our hearts and minds. And here's what we've got to recognize. I am no match for the lion that seeks to destroy my soul. I am no match for the one who seeks to devour me. Now I know ultimately, I know biblically, doctrinally, he can never destroy my soul. I am secure in Christ. But he desires that I live this anxiousness and in, in, in turmoil. He doesn't want me to have peace. He, he, wants, to, he wants to have me to live in a way that says, what's the worth? What, 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 you trusted Christ in vain, just like the psalmist said. So that nobody else will be interested in it. But the enemy has no power to break through and corrupt my mind and steal my peace so long as Jesus is standing guard at the fortress I allow him to build around my mind. So how does the enemy get in? How does he steal our peace? Because he can't get by the captain of our salvation. How does he do it? I think what we do is we realize he's the captain of our salvation. We realize from time to time, oh yeah, keep my mind stayed upon the Lord. Lean not unto my own understanding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If I pray and I, and I pray with thanksgiving and there's supplication uh, that I'll have this peace. And oh yeah, but, but okay. Well, Jesus, you've been doing that long enough. You're probably tired. I'll take over now. And we relieve him of duty. And when we do that, our minds are no longer stayed upon the Lord. We begin to worry. The first thing Paul says in Philippians 4, 6 is don't worry. We begin to worry. Because who wouldn't worry by looking at this world instead of looking at Jesus? There's a lot of things to worry about. If I remove him from the equation. If I remove Jesus from the equation, there's a mess of things to be getting worried about, friends. I begin to worry. When I worry, I find myself praying less and less. We, we lose the sense of urgency that we're actually in this battle. It's hard to be worrisome and thankful at the same time. We're told to be thankful. And it's not long before the enemy comes in and steals our peace and it evaporates. And, and think about this for a moment. Peace is the result of a mind that stayed upon the Lord. Paul reminds us it is vitally important not to allow worry to creep into our lives. And, and I would say you cannot keep your mind stayed upon the Lord and worry at the same time. What do I have to worry about if I'm looking at Jesus? But because we're easily distracted, because our minds drift, 
Because I'm not the only person in the room that will pray and, and, and walk out of my prayer closet and not even remember what I prayed because I was thinking about my schedule and everything else in the day. And I'm not the only person in the room that opens my Bible in the morning and reads through my Bible passage and go, better read that again because I have no clue what I was doing because I was focused on everything else that was going on in my life. When we allow our hearts and our minds to wander and, and, and be, begin to worry, and, and peace is lost. And it's so important that we come back to Philippians 4 and verse 6. And, and that word supplication, Paul says, hey, listen, by everything in prayer and supplication. What does that word supplication mean? It means to pray with urgency. It means to pray like, hey, man, my life depends upon this. To pray with urgency. I want you to think about this just for a minute. I'm going to throw some stats at you, and they're important, so kind of stick with me. Uh, scientists tell us, and I don't know how they figured this out. I truly, I can't even imagine how they figured this out, but I found it on Google, so I know it's true. Scientists tell us that the average person entertains anywhere from 22,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Wow. 22,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Here's a fact. There are only 86,400 seconds in a day. Now I tell you those two things because I want us to understand something. You and I have a hard time focusing on any one thing for very, very long. We really do. There's a reason why social media posts are limited to only a minute of video time. Because it's Longer than that, nobody's watching. I heard somebody say recently, it, it helped me. They said they heard it from somebody else. It helped them. I'm going to tell it to you. Hopefully it'll help you. Uh, he said this. He said, I, I learned that if I focus on any one thing, if I focus on any one thing for more than four seconds, that becomes a prevailing thought in my life. I thought about that. And that's why I ran the stats. And the stats say that that is true. They prove it out. Because even if you're at the low end of how many thoughts in a day, 22,000, if you have 22,000 thoughts in a day, you can't think about every one of those things for four seconds. You run out of time. And so we have this promise of perfect peace when our minds are stayed upon the Lord, but we allow our minds to wander and begin to worry. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds and, and casting down imaginations and every high thought. Casting down. He's, you understand, there's, there's an urgency in this. He says, cast it down. Get rid of it. Every high thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity with urgency... The, uh, every thought to the obedience of Christ, that word supplicate, pray with urgency. What I'm trying to say is when we let our minds and our thoughts drift and wander, we have about four seconds to cast that thing down and get it back on Jesus or we're lost. Four seconds. And by the way, four seconds is actually a really long time. It really is. If my youngest daughter was here, I would illustrate it with her because she can't stand to lock eyes with anybody. She hasn't yet found the guy she likes to lock eyes with, and I'm thankful for that, but she can't stand to lock eyes with anybody. So let's see. Well, Dave, you're up here. Let's just lock eyes. This will be weird. Dave, four seconds, you and me. One, two, three, four Weirdness over. 
That's a long time. You only need a split second to decide whether you're supposed to stop on the highway. You only need a split second to decide whether you're, you're, you're supposed to go through the yellow light or, or stop for the yellow light. I notice you guys decide to go through. Four seconds. So there's an urgency in it, but there's enough time for you and I to say, no, I'm going to stop. That thought exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It is not biblical. It is not from God. I'm going to stop. I'm going to focus my eye and my mind on Christ because I want the peace that comes with it. Four seconds. It's long enough to make the decision. All worry at its root is a result of removing Jesus from the center of our thoughts. A failure to completely trust in Him. And this is why it's so important that we, we get people to that place where they make that first decision to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because without that peace with God, they can never hope for peace from God and peace of God. And, and so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would say to you this morning, He's been focused on you for eternity. I want every Christian in the room to acknowledge this. Jesus did not start loving you when you finally received him as Savior. He loved you forever. For eternity. Before the foundations of the world. And he, and he loves the world, but he loved you. Do you know how Paul personalizes that in Galatians 2 and verse 20? Speaking about Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what I'm saying is that, that, that the, the songwriter said it this way, I think it's true. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And, and what I'm saying is that he's always aware and he's always thinking of you. And whether you're a lost person or you're a saved person, he is infinitely and intimately aware. And he desires that. And he's always thinking about us. And, and, and I'm saying we have a hard time with that as believers. And, 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 and you know, it's hard for me to think about my wife. It's not hard. I think about her often because she loves me and I love her. I spend a lot of time thinking about my wife. Should not be hard for me to think about the one who died for me. And, and I want you to know if you, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, he's been thinking about you a long time. And he is very interested in your life. And he loves you with an everlasting, eternal love. Now that doesn't mean if you don't receive him, that you're se not separated from him. But he is not willing that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. And it's got to start there where you get that peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if you can get that, because if this kind of peace we're talking about this morning escapes you and you say, I don't even know about Jesus, I want you to know you can have this if you will receive him. And then, and then for you and I who know him, we're going to have to be decided. We're going to have to be disciplined. We're going to have to decide every four seconds doing a check. I don't know, that helped me so much. For the last couple months, I only heard it a couple months ago, but for the last couple months, I've been practicing the four-second rule. 
I don't count down four seconds, but I, 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 I'm consciously monitoring what am I spending my days and my time thinking about. One last thing, we're all done. Notice the divine principle, a divine principle. Why, why does this happen? Because he trusted in me. Because he trusted in me. It's a causal statement. It means sense or because he trusted in you. But what I want us to understand is because I do this, I don't put God under obligation. He made the promise first. What I want us to understand is because I think what we do is we go through life and we think, man, I'm living good today. My Christianity is forefront. I didn't, I didn't fight with my wife. I didn't curse anybody out on the way to work. I tipped the Duncan's person. I didn't kick a cat. I am living right. God, you have to bless me. No, God blesses me in spite of me. Not, God doesn't bless me because I'm good. God blesses me because he's good. And what I want us to understand is God doesn't give you peace because all of a sudden you're good and you're obeying his word. What he's doing is he says, I'm just going to honor my word because that's what I always do. And that brings us right back to the beginning. That he is trustworthy and you can trust him in this. And if you will, he will keep his word that is forever settled in heaven. And think of this through and we're done with this thought. That God does all that he does ultimately for his honor, for his glory. And he asks you and I as believers to do the same. That whether we eat or we drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. How do I do that? How does my eating and my drinking bring glory uh, glory to God? Well, I think one way is in a mixed up world where, where we live in turmoil, I can go out to a restaurant and I can, I, can, I can live my life in such a way as I'm eating and drinking that says, look at the world may be falling apart, but I've got joy in my heart. I've got peace in my heart. I'm, I'm not so concerned about everything that's, that seems to be going wrong because here's what I know. It seems to be going wrong, but it's going exactly as God desires because he's perfectly sovereign and he's in charge and I'm going to trust him in it even if I can't understand it. And if I can have that kind of peace, I think it's contagious and people get a hold of it and they say I'd like to know more about that. I get to tell them about Jesus. They may receive him as Savior. When somebody receives him as Savior, he's glorified. And then there's another person who gets to do it all over again. I'm done. There was a uh, commercial some years ago. You remember it? Got milk? Couldn't care less about milk. I don't even like milk. I like full cream in my coffee, but I don't like milk. You can have it. I forget to buy it, kind of like on purpose. My girls are like, God, d- Dad, you got, you got milk? And I'm like, I don't want milk. Got milk? Who cares? Here's my question. Got peace? If as a believer you say, no, not right now, let me ask you, why? Why? Well, you and I both know why. So let me ask you this. Will you determine? I can think about Jesus every four seconds. It'll be okay. In fact, it'll do me well. What do you keep your heart and your mind fixed on? Perfect peace. A double portion. I don't know about you, but I want it. I don't always have it. But I'm trying to live my life in a way that that God is obliged to keep his word and that I can have it. You're here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. 
it starts with a relationship with him. Receive him. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. If you'd like to come forward and, and, and know from the Bible how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it really is this simple. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation is a gift. God says, here it is. If you'll believe that I'm offering it to you and say, yes, I want it, you will possess it. It's really that simple. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, but the, the, what's in the heart stirs the tongue. It's not about so much what I say as much as what I believe here. Father, thank you for this day, your goodness, your grace, as pastor comes to lead us in the close of this service now and in these final moments. Have your will and way in our lives and, and help us, Lord, to make the decisions you'd have us to. In Jesus' name, amen.